0: The following podcast is a presentation given by Rob Dorenson of Las Vegas-based Evergreen Recycling at the 2010 C&D Recycling Forum held in Baltimore. The event was produced by Construction and Demolition Recycling. Evergreen Recycling um, was founded in 97. It was simply find a need and fill it. Um, The growing uh, construction market was growing, Uh, existing uh, supply of Dumpsters and recycling was uh, below average, and so we basically found a need and fill it. I was a contractor before I was in the dumpster business. Our uh, philosophy at, at Evergreen Recycling is that uh, we don't brag about the 75, 85, 90, or 93 percent, or whatever the rate might be. Uh, I always challenge my people to say, What do we do with the 7, 10, or 15 percent? that's going to the landfill let's dump that truck let's run it through again let's check it out see what we can use for it and i think that philosophy permeated our organization and allowed us to um, really search for markets when in reality there were no markets um, but uh, we ended up discovering them nonetheless uh, currently uh, and recently uh, we're proud to announce a merger with republic services Uh, Evergreen uh, Recycling is now a uh, Republic Services company. And we've merged experience. We've merged resources, passion, and proven performance. And that's a powerful combination and one I couldn't resist. So I'm very proud to announce that uh, today. Uh, That was essentially a dream come true. So the goals that we've set out for recycling have been recognized. They've been adopted, um, and uh, Republic Services, together with Evergreen and their own resources, are going to do great things uh, in the coming years. So that's the new day. So we. This is uh, just some basic information on Republic Services. Uh, we're recycling 200 pounds of material per second. So I was I was like that statistic. It, uh, gives us an idea of how much material is actually going through our recovery facilities. Around the country there's 80 of those. Okay let's talk about City Center. City Center was a very ambitious project right from the get-go. It's 18 million square feet on 66 acres. Now 66 acres seems like a lot but it isn't. Um, It's uh, at any one time, there was going to be 6,500 workers on the site. Uh, they were looking to obtain a gold lead rating on all of the buildings they possibly could. I believe the only exception was a portion of the casino that allowed smoking. All other facilities did obtain that lead gold rating. So that was a minimum of 75 percent. Um, recycled materials included all the metals, plastic, wood, concrete, asphalt, drywall, green waste and the C- C&D finds as ADC. And there was a three-and-a-half-year construction time. So when Evergreen got involved in it, it was approximately six months before they actually put a, a spade in the ground. Um, the uh, uh, there was a lot of prep work to do. There had there was a, an existing 10-story hotel called the Boardwalk that was destroyed. Uh, and all, all materials, I think they ran like a 90% recycling rate out of that with giving the furniture away, uh, demolishing the building, and actually using a lot of the concrete. It was a concrete block building, using a lot of that block uh, for roadways and, and base material. So they had a very successful start to the project. Um, now, Evergreen had a lot of experience with uh, lead projects. In 2003, the state legislature in Nevada passed a law incentivizing companies to come and build green. Uh, we started the USGBC chapter in 2003 with 10 members. Uh, I think we're up to 3 or 400 now. It was really a magnet for the green building industry. Uh, some great stuff's been done there on the lead. I won't get into that in detail. But uh, you don't think of Nevada or Las Vegas perhaps as the first city, uh, you know, as a green city, but uh, uh, you'd be shocked to see what, what's there. Uh, so economic incentives were passed. Uh, MGM had planned this big project from the beginning. It was, the idea of it was to create a, a city within a city. So that you could go there and you wouldn't have to go anywhere else. Uh, all the entertainment, all the residential, the condos, different uh, five-star hotels and restaurants would all be located within that area. And it is centrally located on the Strip. So those were the challenges there. Now, when we... So when we first started talking to them, um, there was uh, three recycling options were considered. Uh, one was what we, what I call an on-site low-tech ground sort, which is dump and pick, in, in the vernacular. Um, that was uh, the preference of the con- lead consultants because they could keep their watchful eye on the material. Uh, as soon as the uh, as soon as the construction superintendents got got into the picture, they said uh-uh, we're not having sorting operations on our, on our site. There was also some issues with, would those workers be my workers? Would they be union workers? What, what type of workers would those be? So being that uh, it was a very tight site, that, that wasn't an option. So then they said, okay, well, we want to have multiple bins with on-site sor- source separation. So that sounded pretty good until the superintendents came back to the meeting and said, okay, so I'm going to tell a 25-year veteran iron worker that he has to throw his plastic bottle in a particular bin. Okay. Um, And that there's not going to be any contamination. So we convinced them that they have to sort it anyway. So uh, that wasn't realistic. So then somebody came up with the idea, well, let's – let's commingle mingle all the material in a single stream fashion and then we'll, we'll just take it off site and we'll sort it off site somewhere. Uh, well, the only problem with that was at the height of this project, you were looking at 500 tons a day coming off. So how do you do that on a dump and pick operation? Well, frankly, you don't. Uh, so the challenges were as a result of those discussions, and decision to move the material off-site was, one, there wasn't a facility that existed. Pretty big hurdle. Uh, There was no outlet for recycled drywall. And the problem with that was that drywall was going to be a significant portion of the waste stream. The estimate, pre-construction estimate, was 1.2 million board feet of drywall to be installed on this project. So taking some of the figures we heard before, anywhere from 10 to 20% waste, uh, you know, you got a significant portion there that you got to account for, for your lead points. So uh, very tight site, uh, transportation issues. Um, There was, uh, you know, material had to be moving off the site 24 seven. We ran three shifts there. and then not the least of which was the rapid growth of my own company. I mean, we were, we were consistently uh, consistent. We had ran about 20 employees, uh, including drivers, office personnel. There was essentially three of us in the office, four, I think, with a bookkeeper we hired uh, in 2005. So what we had to do was increase our asset base by something like 8,000%. Um, we had to borrow millions and millions of dollars. We had to uh, hire, we had to go from 20 employees to 80 employees, and we had to uh, acquire not only um, additional properties adjacent to us, because we only were on an acre and a half, but I had to acquire le- easement rights for a fire line, which uh, sounds easy, but any one of those things could have put the kibosh in the whole thing. And, uh, but we worked through that. Uh, and just to give you an example of what 18 million feet needs in a support. On the site, the 66 acre site, MGM City Center, which was its own corporation at the time, had 200,000, constructed 200,000 square foot of office space for a three and a half year project. Now that site where that office, that office still exists today, That site is destined for a tower sometime in my grandchildren's future, but it will be developed at some point, will be demolished, and and, uh, it had intended to be demolished by now, but plans, of course, have changed with the economy. But that's the type of scope of project. Now, the contractor, Perini Company, um, had 200,000 square feet of themselves of modular space next to that. So you have a 400,000 square foot of support structure running this project and thousands of employees. uh, It was quite something to see. Um, Transportation was an issue, not just on the site, but since we were running 24 seven there, we also had the issue of, you know, we still had our own customer base and our reputation in the marketplace was for service and good service and where you want it, when you want it and how you want it. And we didn't want that to change. So that was a challenge as well. So we had to restructure our whole logistics operation. We we did it uh, by um, just communication, I think is the short word for it. So those are the challenges. What were the solutions? Obviously a rapid planning process for finances, operation and logistics. Essentially had to acquire four acres, get it zoned, get it permitted, design a facility, get it passed by all the environmental authorities, and get it constructed in 14 months. So uh, just, uh, you know, I was busy. Um, the way we did it was we, we knew that the numbers were key up front, so um, we actually hired someone in logistics. She happened to be my niece, but she's an MIT grad, so we had her on retainer to come down and do the all of the um we had to do a five-year projection. It was only a three-and-a-half, four-year project. We did a five-year projection on capital investment, uh, return on that investment, cash flow, uh, working capital, and all of those items. That took us about three months, and then we were able to go to the banks. Uh, and with the help of the SBA, uh, we were able to finance the project. Um, so we agreed that we would construct a facility for the exclusive hauling rights. And... Uh, now, remember that the project had already started or was getting ready to start. So not only do we have this narrow window of development time, but we had to do it um, knowing that the volume and material coming off the site was gonna grow daily. Because obviously, we put a bin over there and it didn't turn for two days. And then, you know, two, three weeks later, we had three bins turning once a day. And so that inexorable increase in volume was coming. Um, And and last but not least of uh, challenges was that um, we had to do all this while still working on our site, which was only five acres. So we had to construct the facility while we were also continuing our dump and pick operation. Now, fortunately, the beginning of the project was all, for the most part, rebar, concrete, and, and wood, plywood and form lumber. So all of those things we had outlets for, and uh, so we were still able to maintain high diversion rates, even though we were on a a low-tech ground sort there. Um, We implemented uh, the, oh, going back, we convinced one of the local drywall companies. In in Las Vegas, there's gypsum mines, plentiful gypsum. Uh, Georgia Pacific has a plant, Pabco Gypsum has a plant there. And BP had a plant that they'd sold to CertainTeed, and I did, I went on CertainTeed's website. The other two said, no, we're not doing it. We're not taking your recycled drywall. But I went to CertainTeed, and they were looked like they were su- sustainable. Like they, they, they were turning green. And so I got in contact with their people and said, look, how would it be? For, first they said no. And then they said, well, we'll kick it upstairs, and that's two years later. So I uh, went to the, the local factory guy who was, who was looking to recycle. He was my advocate. And I said, how would it be if you could make drywall in this plant from scraps from city center at the first floor and sell them the, selling the recycled content drywall, they stuck on the 40th floor, you know? So I had to get the MGM and Perini, the contractor to agree to buy some of that drywall but they got lead points for that as well. So that seemed to be um, the convincing argument. And they said, okay, we'll do it. Now we did pay a tipping fee. It was less than the landfill, uh, but we were able to recycle it. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to those people for seeing the light on that and uh, understanding the, uh, the, the beauty of that closed loop that you, you make the drywall, you use the drywall all within the same area. Um, Then, of course, when we started construction, we were on 610s, working our butts off to get that project built. Uh, That is the facility. We ordered equipment. We had a very simple sort line. I didn't bring pictures of the sort line. You've seen a lot of great ones here. Uh, You can go on our website and take a virtual tour if you'd like. Um, And then last but not least, don't take no for an answer. Because had I taken no for an answer, I wouldn't be standing here today talking to you about this. and what do I mean by that? And I'll just give you a little anecdote. In order to construct a facility, once we were under construction, uh, we started in June of 06. Um, my engineer came to me and he said, we got a problem. We can't put the fire sprinkle system in because we don't have enough pressure in the line. So I said, okay, well, where do we got to bring it from? And he showed me. And uh, after I choked on the price, he said, well, that's not the worst of it. He said, we can't just run it down the street, easements. We have to run it across this property or this property. So long story short, short was I got no there, and had was down to my last one. Last piece of property was for sale. I went to the broker. The broker said, I don't think we're interested. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm going to improve your property. I'm going to bring water across there, and I'm going to waive any connection fees, reimbursements, and when they come. I said, don't you think your owners ought to know that? And he said, yeah, I think so. So we had a meeting, and yes, it was three old ladies uh, in their 80s. Uh, their husbands had bought the property, they'd all uh, passed away. And so they were just kind of looking at me, and I'm explaining all this, you know, you need easements, and, you, you know, you. I'm not taking too much of your property with this line, it's going to add value, and this and that. And they're looking at me and nodding. And then I said, and I'll give you X amount of dollars. And they went, okay. <laughs> so whew, you know that was uh so we dodged that bullet um, and uh so don't take no for an answer uh the drywall company said no, absolutely not, uh Certain Teed said no, absolutely not, I said, no, you don't understand, I don't take no for an answer, and you know, we played that game for a while, so obviously there's sometimes when you get no and you walk away, but um it it was if it's critical to your your progress in your path that you set upon don't take no for an answer so what were the results um, of this uh, and there's a picture of the inside of the facility with some with my baler average of 160 tons a day over the three and a half years a hundred total of 130,000 tons of material was recycled Um, the low was five tons per day. I think that was like the second day we put a bin there. And the high was 500 tons per day. Uh, we did 22,000 roll off pulls. Um, we did, had a combined recycling rate of 92%. I say combined because the contractor handled all the track out, the concrete track out, and that, that material was all recycled. Um, we actually achieved about 88% through our facility. Um, So those combined facilities uh, and combined totals was about 92%. We had a perfect safety record, no accidents, no injuries, Uh, no recorded service failures. Uh, We can go back to that company now, and uh, they love to do business with us. So, So, whoops what were some of the surprises? Now, I'm a little bit embarrassed on the first one because when they told us that there was going to be 6,500 workers, I mean, we should have figured out there was going to be a lot of plastic bottles and aluminum cans. And, uh, but we were shocked at the amount. Of course it's, it's very warm in Las Vegas, four to five months a year. Um, but we had to (coughs) jury rig, I call it a, A different sorting station off our sorting line just to handle the PET. Uh, And the same with the aluminum cans. Um, We I I don't know that we we ever separated and measured those particular amounts from that project but it it had to be in the hundreds of tons. Um, Also the large volumes of heavy aluminum and copper cable wire and coax cable. Of course uh, you know er, all the rooms were wired for internet and and sophisticated communication this is this is state-of-the-art we literally got hundreds of tons of copper cable one and a half inch thick aluminum cable with a copper jacket on it um, to the extent where we looked at it and said we have enough volume to upvalue this material so we actually bought a, uh, a granulator which uh, on for the small cable and Number 14, number 12 wire, uh, copper, and on the big uh, on the big stuff, we bought a stripper, and a shear, cut it off in two and a half inch lengths, stripped the jacket, recycled the jacket as MRP, and then we we moved the uh, material by uh, by gondola to the port of L.A. and to Asia. So we were really shocked at how much we came in. It got to be so that I heard something yesterday that everybody picks wood off the line. Well, in our line, everybody picked up wire. No matter whether you were a wood picker or a a metal picker, you picked wire. So every station had a a garbage can, a a 96-gallon tote. And I would see those totes get emptied once a day. So uh, that was a, that was quite a, quite a deal. And no matter uh, if the choice was, you know, let a piece of wood go by or grab the wire, we always grab the wire. Um, And then lastly, uh, we got a call from the site during the excavation. They excavated about 200 foot deep. And the guy calls and says, uh, we found a car. And uh, I said, you found a car? He said, yeah. I said, what kind of car? And he said, a 1959 Ford Fairlane. And, you know, uh, my folks used to own a 1959 Ford Fairlane. So I said, that's a cool looking car. Well, what do we do with it? So I said, well, just put it in the box, you know, bring it over here. Well, should we look inside? I said, don't look inside. <laughs> this is Las Vegas. Don't look inside. So this, I I remember sitting in my office and the truck comes in and the bumper's sticking out of the top and, uh, you know, so we lowered it and, of course, all the people uh, were on break at the time and they all looked and, you know, they wanted to see inside. I said, don't look inside. (laughs) What do we do with it? I said, take it to the shredder. (laughs) And uh, so that was kind of of exciting for everybody. Um, Everybody wanted to look inside, but I said, don't look inside. So uh, those are some of the surprises that we found. Um, and I think, um, you know, it just in concluding, uh, um, I didn't emphasize enough the communication, uh, and this began from, from day one, not only within my own organization uh, on the planning and development. We had daily meetings about where we were and who was on first and who's got this going and who's designing that. Uh, architects, engineers—we literally had about a hundred people to get this project off the ground, and uh, it was a tribute to really the the this working under this, you know, inexorable like watching the tsunami come. Uh, if you ever tried to dump and pick while you're also laying survey stakes and digging trenches for footings, and running forty people and not, nobody's getting hurt, everybody knows what they're doing. It's fully planned. Um, let alone all the financing issues that we had at the time uh, it really was a tribute now on the other side with the contractor and the owner um, of course we had some experience with lead reporting they had 15 lead aps that had different parts of the project that we had to work with continually and issue we issued monthly reports to them Uh, they constantly inspected the facility and then the contractor himself the superintendent uh, we uh, uh, we gave numbers certain uh, drivers had laptops and they would get emails uh, from from the uh, to to come to one particular part of the site to pick up a certain bin uh, they, in many cases they tagged the bin with some red tape or whatever the case might be anything to accelerate uh, moving that material off the site because it uh, at any one day during that 500 tons, we were pulling about 80 boxes a day, um, and that was in addition to our other business, which was substantial. So, um, it, it's a it, what you can do as an organization through through being uh, p- through planning and through picking the right people, uh, you can have a successful project too, and. Uh, That concludes my remarks, and I I thank you for your attention.